The Lord be with you. The continuation of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. A teenage girl turns up pregnant to the surprise of family and friends. She says that a stranger showed up in her room one night and told her not to worry, things would be okay and convinced her that the whole thing was God's will. On the other hand, a young man just getting started in his new relationship is already wrestling with the question of divorce. How can a girl I love so much be cheating on me? Should he try to save the relationship? Should he haul her into divorce court? You know, some people say the Bible isn't relevant to modern-day culture, but I say sometimes the Bible sounds like uh, the last episode of the Dr. Phil show. What could be more relevant? Of course, in the encounter that we have in the gospel story today, what we find is far grander than anything we would read or hear about in the headlines. But I think it's a good reminder that God is at work in what may seem like very sticky situations. And the very times when things really seem out of control, things might just be unfolding as they should. And that's, of course, the kind of approach that takes someone of faith. And so it's no surprise that we have two people of faith in this story. Now, we began the season of Advent looking to the future, to the second coming of our Lord in glory, to judge the living and the dead at the end of days. And we conclude the season of Advent by turning to the past, to the humble first coming of Jesus at his incarnation. In each of the three years of the Sunday lectionary, we encounter the pregnant Mary. But in this year, we turn our attention even more to Joseph. In St. Matthew's Gospel, Joseph learns about the pregnancy of Mary, and he wrestles with what to think about it and with what to do about it. 
Matthew doesn't tell us how he learned about it, whether it was through rumor from someone else or directly through Mary herself. Either way, they certainly talked about it. He loves her. There's no doubt about that. Can he trust her? Is she who he thought she was? How could he believe such an incredible story? We find in Mary and Joseph two people of character who are able to deal with this crisis with faith and confidence that God has a will and a future for them and for each of us. In fact, if they were on the Dr. Phil show, I don't think it'd be very good television. Just wouldn't be sensational enough. They would be so content, so faith-filled, too calm, too peaceful, too joyous. We read in St. Matthew's Gospel that Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. For Joseph, that's a very hard choice to make, but it looks like the most merciful and charitable option available. The betrothal period is a kind of probationary period, a test of fidelity, we might say. The fact of pregnancy seems to indicate that Mary must have committed adultery. But if he publicly exposes her, she would be vulnerable, not only to shame from the community, but also even perhaps stoning from a mob under the law of Moses and the Torah. What to do? Well, he will arrange the paperwork behind the scenes so she can have that certificate to marry whomever it was that she's been involved with. Why does he go about this this way? Well, Matthew tells us that Joseph is a just or righteous man. It's a way of informing the reader that Joseph keeps the law of Moses. Also, it tells us that he's a man of solid character, and then he exhibits traits of mercy and kindness above others. He wants to model what he finds in God. But it seems at this point, he doesn't know the whole story. Matthew tells us that as he was considering these tough questions, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you who have the right to name him will call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation, because he will save his people from their sins. Ponder this, this holiday season. How can we be righteous people? How can I be a righteous person? Does your conduct characterize you as a righteous person? Are you Christian only because you go to church or you were born in America? Or does the word Christian really describe how you, how you see the world, how you listen to and hear God's voice, how you live your life from day to day? Joseph was willing to listen to God, and when he heard him, to follow the instructions that he was given. Joseph naturally assumed that God's will was more important than his own. 
As Matthew tells the story, Joseph is very attentive to the direction of God that he receives in dreams, as were many other figures of the Old Testament. And being a man studied in the word of God, attuned to the Lord's voice, it's no surprise that he recognized it when he encountered it in his dreams. He recognized it as coming from none other than the Lord on high, the same Lord who saw in Mary what Joseph saw in her and who chose her, just as Joseph did, and worked a miracle, a divine intervention in human history, in a virginal conception that was hinted at long ago and mainly forgotten about. And he did all this to bring them and us a child who is the hope of all the world. Joseph, a righteous man, a just man, knew to trust the angel's message. As a righteous man, he recognized that the will of God, when it was revealed to him, did come from God. As a righteous man, he instinctively put God's will ahead of his own. Or to put it better, he made God's will his own. That's what it means to live righteously. In a dream, Joseph is told that Mary has not sinned at all. In fact, just the opposite. In fact, this child is to be the culmination of salvation history, of Israel's chosen purpose. Joseph will name his son in light of this purpose. Yahweh is salvation, for God's plan is for this child to save us from our sins. And he decided to be a willing part of the unfolding of that plan. Now, Mary has already signaled her cooperation in the divine plan. That's why in Roman theology, sometimes she's referred to as the co-redemptrix. That title is a little tricky and perhaps unfortunate by being confusing. It's not saying that she's equal to Christ, that she's another redeemer. What it means in a philosophical sense is that she is the secondary efficient cause of our redemption. That is, through her fiat, her yes to God, Mary provided the matter for the sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, the flesh, the blood that Jesus assumed in the incarnation and offered to God on the cross. But Mary isn't the only one involved in this plan of redemption. Jesus will need not just a womb and a mother, but also someone to give shelter, a protector, a provider, a caretaker, in short, a dad. What an awesome thing to model fatherhood for God's own son. And we find in Mary and Joseph people of character who are able to deal with this crisis of faith with a confidence that God has a will and a future for each one of us. And in the fullness of time, the unfolding of their futures has become the moment that harbors the future for us all. Ponder this holiday season. How can I share in Christ's work? As Mary and Joseph were willing co-workers with God in the awesome plan of redemption, we can be co-workers as well in our own way. In addition to cultivating that holiness, that righteousness in ourselves, as Joseph was righteous, as Mary was righteous, 
We need to share that with others. We have work here to do for the current generations and future generations and beyond. Take advantage of the opportunities that you find that come along or help us create new ones. Consider bringing friends and neighbors to church, extending an invitation, and of course, Christmas is a perfect opportunity. What a great excuse. Our charge is to spread the gospel, and that's a command that comes from Jesus himself. And our doing so is a way of sharing in his work of redemption. One of the churches I went to when I was growing up, every January they had a, a people pledge. You know, you'd make your financial pledge, but you'd also make your people pledge. You would sign a little commitment card saying, I pledge to bring three in 83. I pledge to bring four in 84, and so on. Can you make a pledge? Bring someone. Bring someone not just here, but to God who doesn't know God. Share the righteousness that you're trying to cultivate, the holiness, spread it abroad. Show people what's first in your heart and in your life. You'll be serving Jesus in extending his work of redeeming souls. He wants us to be his co-workers, his laborers in the harvest. That's why he gave us the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, therefore go. Make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them to observe all I've commanded you. And remember, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. In that regard, there's one important thing that I want to notice as we close. There's a pattern that we find in the Gospels, in all the scriptures. Give first, receive second. It seems to be the way God's plan works. Joseph knew that when he understood the Savior must first empty himself and be born as a lowly little baby, he understood God's plan. Joseph heeded the call to be a part of that God's plan. We see the same pattern in our worship. Notice how we begin. Blessed be God. Notice how we conclude. God bless you. First we give then we receive. Before it's time to be fed, we must first feed others. This is a place to be fed, but more importantly, it's also a place to learn how to feed others. According to his will, we give first, and then we receive. The faith and the hope sustained in Mary and Joseph saw them through this crisis, through their joyful expectation Joseph was patient and faithful and discerning and expecting. God wants us to participate in their Advent watchfulness. Like the Holy Family, we must be also discerning and expecting, tuned in to the Lord's will and cooperating in the Lord's work. With them, we too must go to Bethlehem and see the eager longing of all the world, the dawn of the hope for tomorrow, the birth of the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And remember, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken of in the prophet long ago from Isaiah. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.